Judy Curtis, the lovely David Curtis, who is the site of our, uh, of our soiree here, and Lawin Connie Nagel, who's going to provide us with some insight, which leaves me to provide the uh, ampersand in the middle and try and keep the whole thing together. And so without further ado, uh, let's uh, get right on with uh, our question. Okay, and this week's topic is nature's magnetism. So uh, I was trying to think of what we could say for this. I mean, magnetism, attraction, uh, are we attracted by the colours in nature or the topography or what? Um, I came across a quote by Aristotle, that well-known painter, and he said, in all things of nature, there is something of the marvellous. And so I guess for a painter, that's what we're always looking for, is something marvellous to, to recreate on canvas. So, Dave, let's come over to you straight away. You've been painting for many years now. Are you still inspired by nature, going out and, and painting on location? Do you ever get jaded from that? No, no, nature is never. It's always something new and fresh. Uh, even if I went out every day for a week, the same, wet, you know, say it's summertime, went out every day, I would, uh, yeah, find different things. I, I think the magnetism is the important thing because it is, it is very strong and compelling. Mm -hmm. And I think when you're bringing in magnetism, I mean, you're bringing in uh, uh, the idea of, um, uh, of uh, gravity. I think you're bringing the idea of uh, uh, natural strength. Maybe magnetism is something that's there, but we don't see those forces. Uh, I think that's an important part. Uh, we're lucky today as painters to have a lot of uh, uh, scientific uh, proofs about nature. One of the major ones, I think, is the understanding of fractals and the um, proving that there is such a thing as an infinite shape, which every artist should be drawn to. Um, the, the little, it's, there's a nice little, uh, little movie about fractals in which they sort of indulge the artistic side of this because we are talking about something that's visual. And it was amazing how the, the, they brought up, uh, the ancient artists, uh, two, three thousand years ago, finding certain shapes and seeing things that they felt were naturalistic, the Paisley print. Uh, things like that, which resemble what the modern-day scientists have, have seen as the infinite shape. So artists, I think, subconsciously were very aware of the fact that there was something within nature to hold it all together, a bigger force. And I think that's sort of like an explanation of what the magnetism is. Um, for a personal point of view, uh, I got started, I was a I was trained in the studio, so I thought I'd be a still-life painter. Um, I liked interiors better than portraits. I wanted to do interiors uh, and still-lifes, and I realized I really, I really didn't have an imagination for those things, and I really needed something, you know, active. I mean, I could read a good book, and my imagination would go wild, but I couldn't find any images that would come true. Um, so after many years, two or three years of trying to come up with still lifes and things, I said, maybe I'm a landscape painter. So I moved uh, from Boston to Gloucester, went home, and started painting landscapes. And um, I realized after many years that um, 
the reason why I was attracted to, to landscapes was because I didn't have any preconceived ideas about it. I didn't know what a tree was. A tree was marvelous. Mm -hmm. A tree was an, a miracle. I looked at it like, holy cow, how could that happen? You know, and not everybody sees it that way. And as I didn't see how to do a beautiful, uh, a beautiful vase with a, or the, you know, a, 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 something sitting next to it or something, you know, making an interesting still life. My still life was the teapot, the teaspoon, the teacup. Absolutely boring, you know, telling a story. So what? It's not going to, it's not going to make another painting. It's not the idea couldn't go any farther. But as soon as I started painting trees or skies or uh, parts of nature, I realized that it was endless and I didn't understand it. And, I, and to this day, after painting it for 50 years, I still don't. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping today when we go out <laughs> to paint that I might get a little closer to understanding it. You know, I look at a bird and he's looking back at me. What's he thinking? What's he doing? You know, those are the kind of things. And that never happened to me in the studio. Uh, out of doors, it did. Yeah. So I was going to say, too, that there's a lot of energy when we're, we go outdoors. Um, and the magnetism, the fascination, the appeal of, of being in nature may be that there's an energetic force that, that happens. And, um, and I know it certainly happens for me. Uh, when I began painting outdoors, uh, I felt like I was having a relationship with the scene that I was painting. Mm -hmm. That it was talking to me, maybe through the the movement of the wind in the trees. The but there were so many varieties of of forces that are natural forces that that uh, were almost speaking to me in a different language, but in a language. Uh, nevertheless, it was a, a very prominent language to me. The, the movement of the light uh, and the shadows and, and all that. So I think that when we talk about nature's magnetism, uh, there is a, uh, a feeling of magic of, of, and of the mysterious, mm -hmm. the sublime and sort of even of the sacred you know, in certain situations. And, and I think that happened with many of the great artists when we think about some of these fantastic Frederick Church, uh, you know, an American uh, artist who, who painted these huge vistas and, and you, could, you got the enormity of the American continent, yeah. you know, through looking at his paintings. And I think that's nature's magnetism. Yeah. So, it, yeah, it's interesting. Just think if you'd never seen sort of the, the Middle West or the yeah. Far West, it, you know, to see a, a painting by a church, you'd suddenly think, how, how can that possibly be attached to the bit where I am? I mean, it's just so immense. Uh, America's such a huge country. You know, when you come from a little country like Great Britain <laughs> and you suddenly come out to America, there's so many different kinds of um, terrain and, and just it's it, it just it's overwhelming almost so as artists when you go out can nature overwhelm you I know you want to be you know we're all part of nature you know man is an animal too as they say so when you go <laughs> out sure. there you, you, you need to you know perhaps invest yourself in, in what you're doing and you're not just out there to 
paint, just paint a pictorial picture of nature. You want to paint something about how you feel about the scene in front of you. Yeah, I, I think if you went out and just did a, uh, you know, a, I hate to use the word chocolate box cover, there's nothing wrong with the chocolates, uh, <laughs> but it seems to be that, you know, it's a, it's a sort of a, uh, I don't like to put it down because it is just what it is, but it's an advertisement of a you know pleasant experience if you eat one of their chocolates. You know, yeah. <laughs> uh, hope, hopefully they're good on the inside. But uh, my sister always used to test to see if they were soft by jamming her finger in the bottom of the chocolate, and if it was a hard center, she'd put it back in the box. And I think I was the numb one who couldn't figure out where am I in these holes in the bottom of the chocolate anyway. Uh, enough of the chocolate. However, we digress. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, what Connie brought up was the was the um, uh, I think the bigness, the, mm -hmm. the the macrocosm, and and I was talking about the microcosm, and I think just taking it from our points of view, uh, how we saw two different things: the enormity of nature, yet I'm seeing the 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 finiteness of nature. Mm -hmm. You know, the small little yeah. energies that constantly are repetitious over and over again, but never repeats the same thing. I think, I um, mean, how many times, have, Judy, have you made cuttings of roses, planted them in the ground? It doesn't come out the same rose as the other rose. No, it My doesn't. Have, it's always, they're always different. They're, even mm -hmm. the colors and slightly, even though it's the same, it's like you, it's like it's new again. It's taken on its own right. life. And I, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. that, that newness uh, that nature offers you um, I think uh, I keep on quoting Harold Speed today, but I think Speed mentions that he had a commission to do an avenue of trees leading up to somebody's home in Britain, a beautiful home, avenue of trees. And he said, when I sat down, I just started making things up. And I realized my imagination wasn't as good as if I went out and found trees in nature. Mm. Because you, 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 we formulate this idea that a tree has to look a certain way. Um, I had a young student the other day, and I found that they were putting the tree down that not what they saw, but what they was what, inside them. What they yeah. think a tree looks right. like, yeah. And I think what we're trying to say is you got to invite that thing, the inside feeling of your own tree, but you also have to draw it in from nature. And if um, I asked somebody the other day, they wanted to go out and paint and take a lesson. And I just said, well, do you like outdoors? Do you like the outdoors? And they look at me, well, what kind of a question is that? <laughs> well, I, I think that's an important part of being a plain air painter, mm -hmm. is you have to like to go outdoors and, um, and just sit with nature for a while. And it's, it's truly amazing. And, 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 and the transformations that uh, happen to you and the education, when I started off as a landscape painter, I, I don't think I... Knew what a bird, the difference between one sparrow and another sparrow, or, uh, you know, what was a, this kind of bird. And after seeing birds in front of me all the time, I went out and bought a bird book to learn more about birds. Now, I'm at the stage where if I hear a bird's song, I know what it is. Uh, <laughs> and plants the same way. Uh, this year, we, we, there were mushrooms everywhere, all over the ground. I, I think everybody who's listening will say, well, we had a lot of mushrooms too, but here in New England, there were mushrooms. I've never seen so many mushrooms. Yeah. Yeah, maybe, yeah, just the yeah, result yeah. of things. But, um, and uh, so it's amazing what nature, nature will produce. Yeah. Well, when we talk about nature's magnetism, so magnetism um, leads me to remember something they used to 
trying to drum into me at school, which was that opposites attract. Um, so when you look in nature, I'm just looking out of the window here, and I can see, yes, there's the green grass, uh, there's sunlight coming across it, there's um, a tree which I think is a Ianchianthus or something, um, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. And to me, it has quite a reddish tone to it. So when you're looking at opposites attract, do you see colours in nature? Are you, are you attracted to a scene as painters because of the, the colours that are out there? And do we always find opposites in nature? I think we do find opposites in nature constantly. I mean, whether it be compliments, you know, red and green coming together, um, you know, like in the fall, or um, our, um, our darks and lights. Um, but, um, but I think that there's a continuation of opposites and, and uh, that, that maybe that is part of the synergy and the alchemy. Mm. Let's put the word alchemy oh, in because yes. I think that <laughs> alchemy is part of what the painter is involved in. Mm. And uh, they are coming up with something, you know, the, uh, the old days they talked about it being, you know, bringing metals and base metals and all these things coming together to create the philosopher's stone. Well, uh, that was coming, that was something that was coming out of these elements, but it was bigger than mm. the elements. And I think in painting we're doing that same thing where we've got our paint brushes and, our, and we're talking about brush strokes and color notes and, and design elements and all these things, but they, they, in the end, come up with something that is sort of a force of nature, mm -hmm. and it becomes something like the Philosopher's Stone that is bigger than the elements, the base elements that produced it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is when you when you look at nature, you know you think you know should I go out and paint today? Let's check what the weather is, and the meteorologist comes on and gives a little <laughs> spiel. If we listen to them half the time, you'd never go out to doors to paint because oh, you know the weather's not going to be good, windy, rainy, and yet you know because I was brought up in England and it was always supposed to rain, you'd go out and do what you plan to do anyway. And you'd often have a great day, and the weather yeah. was completely different because nature will always do what nature wants. Yeah. Uh, and so I think we should always take that chance to, uh, to, to get out there and, and, and see what's going on. Uh, I think that plain air painters uh, who really get the bug of plain yeah. air painting do go out and, and kind of battle the elements or yeah. the forces of nature, mm -hmm. you know, and they'll be out there in the middle of winter and <laughs> the hot summers and all yeah. of that kind of stuff and yeah. drizzly rain, you know, right. because they hear that maybe the sun is going to come out in yeah. the afternoon, yeah. you know, things like yeah, that. Yeah, so you have to be driven to want to do that. I mean, you were talking about yeah. them going out in all elements. It reminded me of um, Aldro Hibbard who would go out into these I mean where would you go you, you leave Rockport in the middle of a New England winter and you go north I mean what kind of person does that and I think he was so driven to prove he was a man and not a poet with a brush he had to show that he could get out there and and really battle but you've nature. always in your biography on Eldra Hibbert was a very fine book I think you brought out his deep affection for nature oh yeah I think so mm. that's what Elaine his daughter always said that he wasn't a religious man in, in the, the normal sense, but nature was sort of the religion. He would go out there and he would commune with nature 
and he was so comfortable with it he could you know go out in these terrible conditions uh, and paint and get something and I know he didn't like to admit that he had uh, these kind of feelings you know because obviously you've got to have some sensitivity as an artist to be able to paint you know mm -hmm. the kind of paintings that Hibbard came up with um, but he could never admit that I don't think because he came from a generation where you know to have feelings as a man you were a sissy so he had to go out there and prove his virility by going out in terrible conditions uh, and he really did put up with terrible things I mean his, his daughter remembered him coming through the, the doorway one time when he'd been out painting and shouting, whiskey, <laughs> you know, stumbling <laughs> towards the fire. And he'd been out all day painting. You know, he'd get a, a lift out with the logging teams in the morning and he'd have to be ready when they came back because they weren't going to wait for him to pack up. So he had to, you know, really plan his day. Oh, but, yeah. you know, and then he wants to paint a, uh, you know, a stream. So... Um, he he goes uh, out one day to do it, and the following day he goes out, and the stream's frozen over. So he has to start breaking through the ice to to get the effect he wants. I mean, these days, would artists really mm -hmm. go through what he did years ago? I mean, there's there's no difference really in in the kind of painting he did, although probably not as many opportunities to paint that subject matter anymore, because um, man has you know, well, the tree nature has taken over. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I did. A, I was up in Woodstock and uh, doing a workshop, and I re was reminiscing that Metcalf, a great mm -hmm. land, American landscape painter, had painted all over these hills up there and where we were. And uh, it's a shame we can't see the contour of the hills now mm -hmm. because there's too many trees. And yeah. oh, B and B, they <laughs> they threw me off the table. I didn't want you want to cut down the trees. <laughs> well. Maybe a dewy meadow can be just as benevolent to the earth as a forest of trees. I don't yeah. know. I mean, uh, all I'm saying is is that uh, sometimes uh, nature, nature. I know. I know. We try nature to come. Nature a vacuum. Right, and and, <laughs> yeah. and we don't know much about it. We really don't. And I think artists being intuitive, and being in touch with trying to um, capture a moment, or capture an effect. Um, maybe we're like those Indian artists back two, three thousand BC that were finding that nature seemed to be represented by these this design of Paisley or something mm -hmm. on a Paisley print, mm -hmm. and uh, Nouveau Art Nouveau sort of uh, illustrates this idea of movement and life joined together mm -hmm. in this uh, in this stillness that we see as nature. It's yeah. it's absolutely beautiful. Well, yes, yeah, stillness, but I also see a lot of rhythm in me. Exactly. Which right. is, you know, so when you're going out to paint, you're looking for that gestural, uh, the, the line of design. You know, yeah. So you, yeah. Do you look for the line of design first, or do you find the scene you want and then look for the line of design within that particular scene? I, I think uh, the, the methodology of the sight and insight method is the line of design could can come first. Uh, I, I tend to find when I'm painting, I tend to do my spotting first, my color spots, and then see if it does make a line. And it usually always does mm -hmm. uh, through the color spots. Uh, but I was well-schooled, and I, and I find the more and more I, I've been teaching, um, it's interesting. My father would always drill in at the supper table. You know, I was about four or five years old. One, three, five, seven, and nine. One, three, five, seven, and nine. Exactly. And... 
<laughs> I guess that was his lottery numbers. I don't <laughs> no, no, what it means is the odd numbers yes. are more rhythmic yeah. than oh, even oh, numbers. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you watch a tennis match, yeah. there's two people there. Yeah. You know, if there was a third person and a third uh, configuration of a net, we'd go bump, bump, bump. We'd move in in, mu mm -hmm. in a musical way. Uh, rhythm is that negative space is very important in music, mm -hmm. and uh, the positive spaces are also equally as important. But a lot of people are just seeing the two positive things, and they forget all about the the third part, the elemental mm -hmm. part. Mm -hmm. So he always believed that good design or to get movement in a painting mm -hmm. is you know these mm -hmm. odd numbers, yeah, one, yeah. ones and threes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, well, once again, we've come to the end of our time, can you believe? So uh, we're going to bid you uh, a fond farewell, and we hope you'll join us next week when we'll be gathered around the coffee table and discussing yet another interesting piece of uh, art. So until then, thank you very much, and have a great week.